Hey, everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. I would love to transition over to your next business. I mean, this is awesome. I feel like we could do this whole episode just about that, but that's super helpful. And I was wondering, could you tell us about like, what point did you start thinking like, Hey, maybe this is a problem I could solve matching up, you know, people who knew, need long lawn care with quality contractors. Was that after you sold the business and what was that transition? Like how much time did that take to transition between them and how did that work? Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was one that again, I was at another point in my journey where I was very naive. I sold this company and basically retired. I didn't have to work anymore, which was nice. And, uh, and I, and I got bored. I, I like, <laughs> I, I remember I was playing, I was like on a beach in Costa Rica and I was, I'm, I'm, <laughs> and the only problem I had faced all that week was they ran out of my favorite type of tequila at the bar. And I'm like, this is, this, I'm, I'm, I am, I am, I am wired to solve bigger problems than this one. You need more yes. problems. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you at this uh, point? That was, that was 33. Uh, so okay, not, yeah. not young, but not old. And, uh, yeah. and so I thought, well, you know, maybe I should start another business. And, and I started thinking about it and like, you know, you know, getting a good lawn mowing service is a pain in the ass. Like one thing about running Peachtree, my first company, was we would get 50, sometimes it's 100 phone calls a day to our front office, people asking us to come cut their grass because we had like this presence in the, in the marketplace and people just assumed we did that and we no longer offered that kind of service because it wasn't, it wasn't profitable to, to, to do it. And so we would keep a list of names and numbers by the phone and we would refer out um, these smaller operators, what we would call Peter in a pickup, Chuck in a truck, so, sometimes Molly in a mower, and uh, <laughs> and and so we would refer these na- these names and numbers out because we had kind of a value of running that company to always be helpful no matter what even if it wasn't going to like mm. be profitable and so we did that and then they would call us back it's like hey I called all ten of those people I left nine voicemails I hired Peter and he didn't show up do you have any other names and numbers? And we're like, wow, okay, yeah. no good deed goes unpunished. And so I saw this every <laughs> single day. And so I knew that <clears throat> there was a consumer problem there, that people have money, then they want to hire somebody to do this chore. The problem is, is that the, like the guys and gals that do this type of service, they're hard to get on the phone. They don't have a brand presence. They don't have um, a, a marketing uh, process. They don't have like systems in place to, to reliably deliver it. And also they're on a mower all day. And so it's like, they don't have a receptionist. And so it's, so it's really a challenge. And, and I thought, well, an app needs to exist where you can just push a button and hire one of these folks uh, because Uber was doing it for cars and Lyft and Airbnb, you know, you could book a, a couch in somebody's uh, house. And I thought, you know, it should be pretty easy. You know, you just make the app and people will use it and, and we'll get, we'll just have this huge success. It'll take a year and a half, and uh, and it should be should be a lot easier than the first company. 
So I was telling a couple friends about the idea, and they're like, man, that's brilliant. We should do that. And so I recruited two co-founders, and we didn't know the first thing about building software. Um, and we paid a development shop to, to build the first version of GreenPal. And it took them nine months, and we pulled together some money uh, that we had personally, and we spent 150 grand and nine months, and we built this thing, and it was a total piece of crap. Uh, released it, <laughs> released it, and it like it was a total flop. Uh, we we couldn't get people to use it. It didn't have the features it needed. It was buggy. It didn't deliver on the promise of push a button and get a good lawn mowing service. And so we had like a gut check. Uh, we were like, wow, this is going to be a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how like Uber made it look so simple, but <laughs> but this is a lot harder than we thought this was going to be. Mm, and uh, we yeah. had a gut check. And at the time, we were reading a book uh, called. Uh, the Startup Owner's Manual by Steve Blank and another book called The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. And what these two books basically tell you in, in a thousand pages is that in the early days of, of creating a new tech, tech product, you have to get out of the building and talk to your customers. That's the only thing you have. That's the only like lifeblood of, of feedback and to even understand if you're building something that people want. And so we did that and we met with the first you know 12 people that used our crappy app and we heard the same thing 12 times in a row. Uh, the guy didn't show up or, you know, they were disappointed and the, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, but we never heard, I don't want this. Uh, we never heard, mm. I don't need mm-hmm. this. We never saw apathy. Um, matter of fact, they were pissed off and let down that it did not work. Mm. And we took that as a point of validation that, yeah, this is this is going to be really hard, but if, man, imagine if we could get it to work, people will actually use this. And right. uh, we decided, okay, well, let's do whatever it takes to be successful in this. And we learned how to build software ourselves. I learned how to do uh, become the world's most terrible front-end engineer. And uh, <laughs> my, my co-founder went to, went to software school and became a crappy back-end engineer. And we, like, built – we had to do a complete, re- wow. complete rewrite – uh, nothing that we had paid the development shop to build was useful. Um, do a complete rewrite and built the second version, um, and then and then started making just a little bit of money to where we could hire some dev dev hours. Where did the motivation come? Was it just an an innate feeling of like, man, I know if we can get this to work, it's going to be a massive success. Uh, you know, because again, it's like you didn't need the money right at that time, but you wanted to do something. So was there an adventure element involved in like learning code and like pushing yourself to like, you know, gain a new skill? Yeah. You and know, whatnot. Looking back in the rear view, you know, you can look at it. It's like, wow, look how far we've come and all these things we've done and how the business has required me to, to learn these things I never would have learned. Isn't that wonderful? But going through it, there was no like adventurous, fun aspect element <laughs> at all ever in the first five years it was it was like in the first five yeah, years wow. yeah uh you know mm. i don't know who said it, it might have been elon musk but he said entrepreneurship is like chewing glass uh to the point where you eventually <laughs> eventually love to come to taste of your you know you love the taste of your own blood um and <laughs> and that's how it was wow. man building this building this thing the first three to four five years were, were just like that there was no, there was no fun at all 
Um, so what hmm. was the driving factor for you? Because it's like, a, I'll tell you, um, you know, because I, <laughs> it sounds terrible. Yeah, it, it sucked. Um, it's fun now. I will tell you this. Uh, you know, yeah. you know, we have we're, we're profitable. I got a team of 43 people and, um, you know, we're doing multiple eight figures a year in revenue. And it's a lot of fun now. Back then, it was not fun. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that really kind of kept me and my two co-founders going was I, I kind of had made a decision that by default, no matter what, I was going to be working on my best idea. Because I had already mm. gone through a, 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 a point of, of reaching like maybe second or third base and, and getting enough you know, uh, financial stability under me where I didn't have to work. And I had already like achieved that. And so now I was like, well, no matter what, you're going to be working on your best idea by default. And I guess fortunately, mm. I'm not terribly creative. I had I've had one good idea in ten years, and this is it. You know, like <laughs> I, I had, like, I'm going to make it yeah, work. You know, you see these huge successes. You know, you see like so and so company sold for nine figures, and so and so company raised a hundred million dollars, and like you, you, you're a little jealous to be honest. And you're like, well, you didn't have that idea, and you didn't build the team and scale that and, and execute on that idea, so it doesn't matter. You have this one idea, and so it's like that's that's what's happened for me. Um, that's what kept me and my team and I going in the early years was that no matter what, we were going to work on this thing. And yeah, sure, we made ten grand our f- second year. Imagine if we could double that to twenty grand, and then imagine if we could mm. double it again, and imagine if we could double it again, and then and so it's like just working backwards, knowing that all of these big things start small, and 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 just focusing on a few key metrics and, and moving the, the needle on those and having the faith that if you can continue to compound, that eventually you'll have something. And that's, that's how it unfolded for us. The other thing that, that's a little weird about our story is we didn't raise any money. You know, a lot of times um, these huge, you know, these tech-based companies raise a ton of capital and, and right. it's a get rich or die trying dynamic where if they, if they execute well and make the right bets, you know, they, they, they hit a grand slam. Most of the time, they strike out. And for us, I didn't really want to do that. I didn't really want to take us down that path. So we took the sustainable approach. Luckily, we did because there's been about a dozen other Uber for lawn care ideas that have crashed and burned and raised a bunch of money, and now they're in the graveyard. Hmm. What um, are you? Are your co-founders still involved in the business? Yeah, yeah. Still the same three guys that, that, that we... Uh, started with and they they manage different segments of what we do and and without them we wouldn't you know wouldn't be where we are today i couldn't have done it alone are they like personal friends like buddies of yours from you know like growing up or or who are these guys and you know how have you you stayed together through these years even through difficult times and stuff yeah um to they're, they're friends that I've had for 20 something years. And so I was optimizing for like ambition and trust and not talent. And that's mm-hmm. probably the only thing that, that worked out. Um, I saw a talk by this guy named Simon Sinek where he, uh, he talks about the Navy SEALs and how they recruit, like SEAL Team 6, how they recruit uh, Navy SEALs and what they look for. And so they, they lay it out on like a two by two matrix. And on the vertical axis is talent, so the ability to like, you know, kill somebody with your bare hands and shoot, you know, somebody from <laughs> you know a football field away, and you know, yeah. like talent. And then uh, like, yeah. and 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 then on the other, on the horizontal uh, axis is trust. And he talks about how 
they 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 will they will overlook somebody who's got more talent than 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 trust, and so they really kind of over optimize on the trust side of who they're looking for because they'll take somebody who's less talented who they trust more, and and that's kind of how how we did it. You know, I knew I could trust these guys. I knew that they were hard workers. They had a lot of ambition. The only problem was none of us knew the first damn thing about building a software product. So we had to learn all that stuff and and we did. And that's how it worked out. Nice. And I, you know, cause I always hear like, Oh, never start, you know, business with a friend or never have partners, you know, go alone, you know, because it's going to cause drama and you're going to have a breakup and ruin friendships and stuff. So, I mean, what to that point, I agree. Know. You know, I, I, I agree that I just got very lucky. Yeah. And so, and so my advice on co-founders is to try to go alone as far as you can and, and to take it as far as you can and, and to really try to do it without a co-founder because bad co-founder dynamics ruin more businesses than anything. And, and another, another thing is like, you know, we, 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 we date somebody for like, you know, a year, two or three years before getting married, yet we'll found a business, you know, within, um, you know, weeks or months of knowing that this person. Whereas if your business is successful, you're going to be spending more time with that co-founder than your actual spouse. Um, it's actually easier to get a divorce than it is uh, to unwind a cap table. <laughs> and and uh, like you're going to be going through like probably more difficult times with your co-founder than you are your actual spouse. Like, like you're really going to have to go through some hell with this person. So really think of it as a marriage, give it the same weight. Um, and don't, and you know, don't get married, you know, in a business context until you have found your business soulmate and you cannot imagine doing running the business without them. Um, if mm. not, don't do it. Yeah. And then the other thing, like for, to assign a nominal value uh, look at it this way. Ask yourself, if you had $10 million in the bank, would you give this person $10 million to start the business with you? And if the mm. answer is no, then don't start the business with them because there's going to come a point in time where maybe their equity will be worth $10 million. Or maybe you do raise capital and like the amount of equity that they hold is going to like, have that nominal value. So ask yourself the $10 million question on, on, on starting a business with somebody. If the answer is no, don't do it. Uh, with partners, uh, you know, how, how did that play out with equity? Like, was it like a, you know, one third each or a quarter per person? Like, where is it pretty cut and dry? Real simple. 30, 30, 30. And because uh, I didn't want to do it with like me being like the boss or anything like that. And, and you know, uh, technically I do have like, I guess you could say the tiebreaker position because I am CEO. But um, no, it's, right. it's, it's, we, our cap table is real clean. It's got three names and, and that, and, that, and that's how it, that's how it's laid out. And that's been one of the, that simplicity has been one of the things that's helped us be successful. And, you know, without these two guys, I probably, you know, most likely wouldn't be here. You know, they really helped, particularly in those early years in terms of the heavy lifting of, you know, writing the code, uh, figuring out like how to get ourselves on TV. You know, my co one, I have one co-founder, all he does, all he's done for 10 years is PR. That's it. Mm. You know, emailing a hundred journalists a day, uh, day in, day out. And, you know, last year he was on TV 70 times uh, mm. with local, local ABC, NBC, at Fox News, you know, talking about Green Pal, talking about Green Pal coming to town, talking about Green Pal solving problems for small business owners. And that's all he's done. And, you know, without that, we probably wouldn't be here. 
That's, hmm. that's amazing. Would you mind sharing with us maybe one or two mistakes you feel like you've made throughout the years that you feel like it are common or that you could warn people away from? And then maybe a couple of things you're like, man, I succeeded because I did this one or two things right. Yeah. You know, I think I succeeded. We succeeded because of like the superpower of consistency, you know, just showing up day in, day out, being consistent, looking at the two or three things that you can work on, that you can improve, that you can move the needle on. Um, you know, what I call output metrics and input metrics, you know, looking at like the output metric is we need to get sales from 10 grand to 100 grand. Uh, you know, that's the first year. And the input metric is, well, like we need 100 more people a day to sign up. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we need to we need to make this many more landing pages. Well, we need to make this many much more content. Well, we need to like hire this, you know, like it's like what are the things that you're doing on a daily basis? What's the input metrics? Uh, focusing on those and not really worrying about anything else. It's been another thing that's kind of helped us grind our way to where we are. Things that I've done wrong uh, as a manager, as a leader, um, the, the balance of uh, delegating versus doing it yourself um, is weird because, like, on the one hand, you know, okay, well, just delegate it, right? Well, not necessarily because you look at, like, you know, the first mistake we made out the gate was we delegated the, the, the construction of the first version of the app, and it was a total failure. It cost us a year and 150 grand. And so it's like, when do you delegate? When do you self-execute? And, and knowing the difference. And uh, so some mistakes I've made is I delegated too soon, and then another mistake I've made is I delegated too late. Because hmm. when, we, when we made that mistake and it was so costly, we did everything ourselves for like four years. And we didn't, we didn't develop a system and a process to delegate out to contractors, agencies, and employees quick enough. So really being mindful of that, to when you get something stood up, you know how to do it. Um, and you do what's, what's called, uh, you can do delegation by stewardship and not delegation from abducation. And so one of my favorite books is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. And that's one thing he has like a whole chapter on is stewardship delegation and not delegation by abdication. So delegation by abdication is I don't know how to do this. It scares me. I don't want to learn how to do it. I'm too lazy to learn how to do it. You handle it. That's always a recipe for disaster. Stewardship delegation mm -hmm. is here's the scope of work for what it is we're trying to do. Here's how we expect for it to be done. Here's the quality standard that we're going to use to measure your performance. Here's how long we expect it to take. Here's what we think is fair to pay for it. And here is the timeline that, uh, by which you know you need to get started and get done. And, and all, you know, your the stewardship delegation. And that person handles it and does it better than you can. And then, and then you can focus on other things while they're working on that. That's like a recipe for successful delegation. And that's one mistake that I have made over time as I've delegated from education and then not delegated quick enough from a stewardship standpoint. Hmm. You know, one of the things uh, that, that we talk about at the Friday Habit, you know, is the idea of constantly learning, but then not just learning, but putting that learning into action. And, you know, over our conversation, you know, over this past hour almost, you know, I keep hearing you name drop books and, and authors and speakers and, and all that. So it sounds to me like you are constantly learning. And like you said, there's kind of like that three aspects of your business. Um, 
that you got to take a percentage of your time and devote that back to learning and, and educating yourself. You know, what does that look like for you as far as, um, you know, your routine of, of educating yourself and learning and reading new books, getting inspired, and then taking that knowledge and putting it back into uh, practice? Yeah, I think, you know, 20 years of, of entrepreneurship has taught me uh, one really cool thing, and it's that I can pretty much, if I'm suffi- if if I'm if I'm sufficiently motivated, I can learn uh, the eighty twenty of of anything, and so entrepreneurship and, f- and being a founder will teach you not to believe believe your own BS, because a lot of times we think, well, I'm not I'm not I'm a right brain person, so I can't learn that left brain thing or vice versa, whereas you know if your back's against the wall, and you've got to learn like the Pareto. By eighty twenty principle of of whatever that thing is, and you really just dive into YouTube University and dive into online classes and read the books, and then you put it into practice. You'll learn about yourself that wow, I actually can write front end code, or I actually can you know walk into a room of ten people who are pissed off and and deliver a talk that gets us all on the same page and turns the ship around. Wow. And so it's like, that's one of the cool things about it is you learn that you can learn. And that's how it's unfolded for me. And that's one thing I love about it. That's awesome. That's so great. Well, hey, you know, we uh, love to kind of recap our conversation uh, with with you and, and kind of kind of share these key takeaways that we get from each episode. So Ben uh, takes amazing copious notes. So if you could pick maybe Ben from, you know, this conversation, your top key points what would those be my top 27 points (laughs) your top 27 i I just got a few um brian you said if you want to keep people make sure your business is a place that you would want to work and i thought that was really profound make sure you create a well-running machine so you can pay your people better it's kind of your responsibility to do that Um, always be helpful to your customers even if it's not directly profitable Uh, being consistent on a daily basis is a superpower and if you guys want to check out the books that Brian mentioned, I made a list of, I think there's six or seven of them in there with the authors. So you can check out the show notes to find any of those books. That's awesome. Hey, Brian, if people want to connect with you or, uh, you know, maybe hear more about your journey or uh, maybe just uh, figure out, you know, how to, to get involved with Green Pal, what, what is the best way to, to get in touch? Yeah, yeah. Uh, life's too short to cut your own grass. So just go to greenpal.com and uh, <laughs> hire a good lawnmower service and you can focus on your business. Um, anybody want to hit me up? I spend most of my time uh, socially on Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. Just drop me a follow and a DM there. I'll hit you back. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, thanks for joining us and listening to The Friday Habit. Uh, if you go to thefridayhabit.com to find uh, show notes for this episode, you can do that there. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to The Friday Habit system that will show you how to set aside one full day each week to dedicate working on your business instead of in your business. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app or in the Spotify app. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover, don't forget to record us a voice memo and send it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. That's right. And until next time, remember, live every day like it's Friday.